0: Hello, and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today, we are continuing in our series on how to survive through adversity doctor Bernstein, Peter, as he likes to be called. Yes I is, do. He does. Is a coach and mentor with over forty nine years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure, it can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. Welcome back.
1: Thank you. I listen to that and go, Now a lot of people must be listening to that. Are they kidding? And frankly, if I were in a more worked up emotional state, I go, You are gonna you gotta be kidding me. Yeah. So but the truth is, yes. And we have a title for this one that we're joking about today, but <laughs> we'll explain it. And it's called Emotional Vampiring, we made that word up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or the hazards of being a caregiver. Now, there's a reason we put that together like that. Uh, coming from the world of psychology years ago, for psychotherapy in years, there were, there is a type of person that's called an emotional vampire. And those are the folks that are very narcissistic. They just suck the living energy out of people. And when you get done, you're left feeling so depleted. You may even feel kind of creeped out or just exhausted. Um you may feel like you're not quite the person you were when it started, and maybe you walk away feeling a little not as worthy as when you started. Um, you may listen to them and after a while begin to shut down, begin to fall asleep, or your eyelids begin to get heavy, or uh, your body is feeling tight and depleted. They're not a good type of person. Um, in relationships, they're a devastation. Yes. Um because they just suck the life out of the relationship. And if the partner isn't really uh, aware of it, they feed right into it and uh, just go along with it or don't realize how they're feeding into it. But it's a very depleting, self-centered, exhausting, emotionally exhausting kind of person that is like this. They're devastating. Well, the reason we use that. It is, there is there is a carryover, but it's not as lethal or psychologically—
0: Or deliberate.
1: Or deliberate, exactly. Motion empires are very deliberate. Yes. The, we're going to talk about caregiving today and the effect of caregiving on the caregiver. What's the similarity? Caregivers are giving all the way. They're selfless, they're empathetic, they're caring, they're sacrificing— uh, it's a Really, it's a one-way street in that way. And they are depleting their energies. And the whole situation sort of demands that. It does. And you can walk away feeling depleted, feeling exhausted, feeling sometimes if you're dealing with someone with dementia or Alzheimer's or the effects of stroke, kind of tensed up and uh, creeped out about some of the ways they act or agitated. It's not their fault. It's nothing to do with their doing anything that is truly deliberate anymore. No. It's a whole different universe. <clears throat> Jenny just coughed. She doesn't want anybody to know that. Anyway, um, we let her do that. Her. <laughs> Busted. She's Yeah, she is a um, radio star out here, so she didn't want anybody to hear her cough. But anyway... Uh, the truth is, there is some kind of similarities. There but.
0: are there are similarities, and and the reason we bring this up is because it's such a vivid example, and and it will help. Um, this there's no judgment here, no criticism, no, not at none all. at all, not at all. But the, just sort of the understanding the situation in this way
1: is going to be helpful. Really, and we you got to know one is kind of a lethal, vile, depleting, self centeredness. And the other is nothing like that. That's not the motivation whatsoever. The depletion, though, is similar. And that's what we're going to address today. And that's the reason we titled it that. I hope it grabbed you but Mm -hmm. didn't turn you off too fast.
0: One other key point in that depletion is that when you're that depleted and uh, that uh, drained, you lose
1: yeah, and we're going to talk about that today, and that kind of goes back to some of our earlier work and our earlier broadcasts on how to maintain resiliency and strength through some very difficult experiences in life. Uh, we've emphasized that that's still a core of everything that we do, and it's uh, we took it step we take it step by step. We understand the process uh, in detail of what, what people go through. Um, so one of the things that we, we have said in the past is hope is so important. And many times when people are depleted, what happens is they become discouraged, despairing, resentful, and hopeless. That's real trouble. When you When that's beginning to happen, we're talking about the opposite of hope. We're talking about someone who's emotionally and physically exhausted, and going into the negative. Mm-hmm. And usually what comes out of that is a built-up, a buildup of resentment and anger. So uh, it's a destructive process, that side of it, for anybody. But for caregivers, I would say it's almost inevitable in the challenge you have to face. Yes. And that's a part of it I wanted to talk about today, too, is that caregiving in itself draws out the good and the bad. It's just the nature of the beast. We're dealing with desperately sick people, and they can't help it. And they need to be given to 100% while we're there. But that can draw us to a point of being very personally challenged, because we're going to start moving into the negative. I think our personal, uh, uh, experiences lately are that we've been dealing with caregivers we're interviewing caregivers for other folks mm-hmm. uh, we're trying to have people show up to be interviewed <laughs> that's that's a that's a frustration of ours lately um, but we're seeing what happens to caregivers when they burn out yes we're seeing how they begin to act and react they don't seem to have an awareness or a consciousness of what led up to that.
0: We're really finding how little many caregivers know about self-care and its importance. I guess I'm a little bit naive in thinking that that's something most caregivers, whether they do it well or not, at least they have some awareness of the importance of it. I'm not sure that's true.
1: Well, our experience is, we're getting more experience, and that is I'm not sure they're aware of it either. But what you may become aware of is when they begin to act out in a very negative way yeah. and letting their clients down or letting their family partners down
0: or their employers or down. Or their
1: employers down. Absolutely. Where they they start getting angry, they start not showing up, they start giving you difficulties and complaints, and things start going toward the negative. Yeah. Now, when you're in yeah. a, a shape of where you are in a position where you need them. It could be we've had some that we've helped and, boy, they're desperate. They're terrified because they're very dependent on their caregiver. Uh, one of our friends that we've we've been helping is as a quadriplegic. And his caregiver was acting out. He was burned out. And he was being neglectful. He was being resentful and angry. And he was going out drinking. Um, there was real trouble there. But the person we're talking about, the client, was in need of real attention and love and care he was totally dependent yeah. on this caregiver so he didn't even tell us about it for a while and when i heard i think we've mentioned it when we heard about it we we definitely um uh helped him right away and stepped in and, and looked for other caregivers right away but i think when we're when when you're doing such a critical job as a caregiver or a loved you're being a caregiver to a loved one you start. You go and slide into your negativity too much. They're being affected. And uh, other people that are depending on you are being affected. That's when the trouble is, or we're in the red zone. We're already going into these people need to believe. Um, a lot of times it's too late. That's what we want to present, prevent, and we want to uh, create interventions and awarenesses and a lifting of your consciousness to, in a new way that makes you aware of, number one, your responsibility to yourself and what you need to do to take care of yourself, what you need to know about yourself. That's very, very important. You've got to have a center or a balance that you know about yourself. You know what you carry in your life. You know what your personal life's like. You know what your history's like. You know how it's affected you or the the scars of the wounds you still carry. You need to know about that. Why? Because caregiving will bring you right up to that point, and will challenge it. And if it's been, uh, if it's been subjugated or if it's been suppressed, caregiving is just the kind of thing that will bring it out to the it surface. Draws it right out. Yep. And if you think you've worked it out, well, take it from someone who's thought he's worked out many things in his life. It, when you're tired and exhausted, I call it the enemy mm-hmm. comes right in, and here you go again. Mm-hmm. Uh, that...
0: Let me make one quick – I want to make one quick point. You're talking about not only the, the, um, the, the challenge and depletion of, of the caregiving itself, you also have what comes up – caregivers also have what comes up inside them. That's right. That is personal to them.
1: That's correct. And it's your responsibility, our responsibility to be aware of that and to know it takes work. It takes help and support. And a personal responsibility, if you're going to do this work, that you have got to deal with that. You've got to get help with it. If you don't, you're not going to be resilient. And you're going to, you're going to be in trouble, and you'll probably cause trouble. So, yes, these are very important things. And you have to know about yourself, too. You've got to know that I think the major component of burnout is anger. It mm-hmm. builds up resentment.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: And uh, you've got to know what that feels like in yourself, you got to recognize the the warning signs that it's building, it's pumping up to the surface. Uh, what's it making? What's your body beginning to feel like? What does anger really? What does it feel like? What does it make your body feel like? Um, the tension that it causes, the energy, the type of energy that anger is. We've talked about it before, and I'm glad we do, because we you need to hear about it over and over again. So when it happens. You're aware that this is happening. Is your jaw getting tighter? Is your chest getting tight? Um, is your heart re- beat getting into more intense? Do you feel an aggression inside mm-hmm. of yourself, mm-hmm. an irritability, a tension, yeah. uh, a resentment? Do you feel all of those things? And are you feeling it biologically mm-hmm. in your body? you got to know about that. Yeah. Do you have a psychological history that would be you make be prone to that has there been rejection has there been abandonments has there been fearful experiences in your past that are part of you because all of that are some of the components of the psychological aspects of anger the emotional well, of course you're going to start getting worked up there's others and i i know one person in particular who does this who um, goes passive it doesn't mean she's not resentful or angry. She, she knows. Um, yeah, she's giving me a dirty present. Look here. <laughs> present company <laughs> yeah, included. But all of a sudden, um, Peter is going, Wait a minute, what happened to my angel here? <laughs> and all of a sudden, she's
0: practically smoking yeah, over there. She, yes. <laughs> yeah,
1: Jenny can do that. But if she goes passive. And one of the things is, Jenny doesn't want to displease anybody. This is from her past, and this is common. She doesn't want people to dislike her. She doesn't want to think she's not doing a, that. She's not living up to her expectations of being a good person, a good worker. She doesn't want to create conflict. Yes, it comes from her past, but the truth of the matter in the present, if we don't, if I, if we're not aware of it, nobody knows until she's on the edge already.
0: And then it's affecting everyone. Then it's affecting everybody. Yes. The, and my caregiving is not as good.
1: And then the boss steps in.
0: And so I'm not going to be passive in the moment, and I'm going to say (laughs) you've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma, 103.3 FM. It's a good thing. We're all such good friends. Uh, We'll be back after a short break.
1: You are great.
0: Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And we started out today with a very vivid uh, picture of an emotional vampire. What we were really talking about is the, um, the emotional depletion, uh, and we were relating it to caregiving. It's not a deliberate act, but, but when people who are giving, caring for people can be emotionally as well as physically draining experience. Uh, We talked about um, the buildup of of, uh, often anger Mm -hmm. that can come when uh, people who are giving care don't take good care of themselves. And what happens to that anger? What does it feel like in the body? Uh, what can come from it uh, It affects the, the person receiving care as well as the caregiver themselves. And so we want to return to that. The, what can we learn and do about this?
1: Absolutely. And one of the things you heard just now, we were just joking about Jen. Jenny is an angel. She is really an excellent caregiver. Um, she's on top of her game. We know, I, I'm telling you, 99% of the time, that her form of anger I described, mind is exactly the opposite, Yes. and mine is pretty intense, and threatening, and overbearing, and not good.
0: Your eyes completely change.
1: Okay, this is what my employees <laughs> tell me about myself. Completely. Yeah, yes. they don't see that often. She's seen it when we've had threatening clients come in yeah. that threaten the staff, and then Peter goes back to his street life in New Jersey, and the threats get come from Peter, and usually it works. That we take very violent clients. We've had some veterans with PTSD that were very violent, and we are able to subjugate them. And to me, it's part of me. It you know.
0: only you have only used it when it has been absolutely necessary. Thank you. Absolutely that, necessary. It's my choice. now. No. Uh, we know situations can arise that are dangerous in the work that we do.
1: And we've been in, and we've been in them, and uh, that's when I become a bodyguard, forget a mentor and, and coach, and old when I was a therapist. Then it takes that kind of aggressiveness. So she's telling you the intensity of of where I can go. That's by choosing, though. Um, And I know how to use it, but it doesn't mean it's pleasant. I don't like it. I don't live there. Uh, In my caregiving, it's very, very rare. Although I haven't had violent outbursts, but when Mm. I'm exhausted, um, I can be honest and go. I don't have any more patience, nothing. And I get a little bit more aggressive in my setting limits and boundaries that I think are too much. Um, they seem to work sometimes.
0: Sometimes they end up really being about
1: what's I needed. I know. So, I hate doing And then it.
0: But I know you feel bad afterwards. But I do.
1: But yes, sometimes it does work. But it's not out of bitterness. It's not out of cynicism or
0: no. You're not striking out. No,
1: no. I don't. That's not what it is. But nonetheless, it's not my favorite. Place to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're caregiving and giving all the time, of course, that's going to come out of us. I know myself. Jenny knows herself. You heard her laugh at herself. That's because she knows herself. She's been there a thousand times mm-hmm. and had to self-correct and she does it. She She's a totally responsible woman for herself and for her those that she cares for. Um, that's Jenny. But if she didn't know and she weren't centered and balanced, and didn't—that would come out in a very irresponsible way, or it would come out in a very destructive way, a very oversensitive way, uh, whatever form. But it mm-hmm. wouldn't be workable, and it wouldn't be good. No, no, she's—that's not Jenny at all. But she's done a lot of work to take care of herself. She's a responsible professional, uh, a lot of responsibility and experience, but she knows how to take care of herself. And, and I've had to learn that. She's had to learn it.
0: And that's something that uh, we're we're talking about a little bit here is how do caregivers learn mm-hmm. about themselves and uh, develop responsibility for the tendencies that they have, whether they're passive or aggressive or avoidant or uh, panic or freeze or any of these types of things. How do we learn from these issues?
1: Okay. It's a big question, and yet it calls for a big answer, an important answer. I, I think one of the first things is attitude. You've got to develop an attitude of openness to seeing yourself honestly and allowing others who care about you to challenge it or to to hold you more accountable. Uh, and you've got to be able to change your consciousness and awareness Of not being defensive, even though that may be your first impulse, but to be open to something, that there's something bigger and deeper and more purposeful and important. It is a change. Um, It is a change. I'm thinking about a, a, a situation we've had. We have a team of caregivers. They're just all incredible. But and one of them, and when I say but, I can't say but because each we all have our moments. That's all I can tell you. Mm-hmm. But this one was one of our favorites. We adore her, um, and she was having some rough moments. We didn't know why. We don't know much. We didn't know much about her po- our personal life at that point. In some ways, um, but we saw her beginning to act out, and all of a sudden, this very reliable, incredibly excellent caregiver was getting a little bit. Irresponsible and was beginning to send messages. Guess to who? Jenny. <laughs> and Jenny is the easy hit. I'm the good cop. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they're coming to Jenny, and we're all getting a little shaky because we depend on this lady, rightfully so. She's very good and mm-hmm. very dependable. Yeah. But something was wrong. Yeah. The way we deal with it is we bring together our whole team, and the team supportively challenges this person about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Not criticize, not put them down, not be mean, but we got to find out what's going on. We do.
0: Yeah, yeah, and the point, I'll just point out, the point is not not, you know, here's what's wrong with your caregiving Mm -mm. or anything like that. The point is what is happening with you what what's coming up uh this whole idea of learning and growing and what's coming up in this person that's getting in the way of doing what we know they can do Uh and actually what we know that they want to do
1: yes and that that's the truth she's that's that's her she wants to do it yeah but things were beginning to happen that were a little out of control well interestingly when we spoke with her we love her by the way um we're talking about a level of awareness and self-care for the caregiver that almost felt it felt like we were talking a foreign language to her yeah that she wasn't used to she's smart we're not talking about some very dummy, smart woman but we're talking about a language of the heart and we were talking about caregivers need support caregivers need education they need help and they're not used to it. They're the people that give help. Mm-hmm. But many times culturally, if they come from another culture, it's part of the culture to help the elderly and the sick. And the culture is very good about that. But when it comes to taking care of the caregiver, mm-hmm. that seems to be a neglected area. It's not it's, part of the picture. Mm-mm.
0: Or not as much a part of the picture.
1: Very little. Mm-hmm. And I, I've worked with caregivers from Ta- Fiji, Tahiti, uh, Tahiti yeah. Ta- uh, Haiti, and I, the ones I'm talking about, have worked with us, and some of them have been with me. Yolanda's been with me, God, 25 years. Mm-hmm. But for them to take care of themselves, that's like a foreign language that they didn't even understand what I was talking about. And I saw that happen with our latest staff meeting with an, this incredible woman, and she didn't do it deliberately. She almost couldn't relate to the idea mm-hmm. of getting support, and getting and needing a new kind of training about taking care of herself yeah and what it had gone on between the time we didn't know between the time we saw her beginning to act out there were other things going on in her personal life there were things going on in her other professional life we didn't know about they
0: were legitimately stressful we recognize that they were stressful for her yes Mm -hmm. We we could be empathetic about it
1: absolutely And we had to make her aware of it and make her aware of how it was beginning to affect the whole team. Mm -hmm. She's not used to working in teams. No. She's working to toughen out strength. She's a, I call it the macho model, which I know about. I live. Mm -hmm. But it's like keep pushing on. And we've seen many that we've interviewed, same thing. And even though they're dealing with some very difficult life situations or losing a beloved one that they've taken care of, they don't even take time to grieve. They just go right on they to the next. They just keep pushing on. It doesn't work. No. It is, it's a setup for trouble. Well, we pay attention to it. We make sure our caregivers are attended to. Uh, we want them to be aware of how they're behaving, too. I mean, it can't be just not knowing what they're doing. So we do that, too. But I think one of the things is to begin to make them aware of when their resentments are building up, what it feels like in their body. Mm-hmm. Uh, their compassion is going away. The resentments are starting to build. Their presence isn't so pleasant, nourishing or nurturing anymore.
0: The other thing they could be doing is wanting to kind of run away. Yes. there's yeah. It's another version of it like, well, no, I can't show up for that or I'm going to have to stop doing this.
1: Pay attention to that, folks, because yeah. that's a big one and that will affect you. Um, we've seen many other ways, too. It's, it, truthfully, when you hear about the stresses and distresses these folks are under as caregivers. They're significant. Oh, and you can understand it. They don't live the normal life. They live a life, they're on the front lines of life, and death, and that's their chosen place to be, if it's not family, Mm -hmm. um, to help those that are really in trouble. Mm -hmm. So they're they're usually what we call empath, empathetic type of persons, Um, and it's in them. They may come from their culture, and it's it's part of them. But when it really comes down to it and the work starts taking its toll, the idealism goes away. And the expectations of what they can what's going to happen, the ideals tend to get a little bit darkened. What begins to rise up is resentments becoming cynical and bitter. Um starting to want to drift, to run away, others get stuck having angry outbursts, their personal lives at home to start to disintegrate. So the ideals go away Mm -hmm. and then the realities hit. Mm -hmm. We had a very good example today, one of our staff, one of our team members, we're not going to talk about it, not until the break. Is that right?
0: I'm, I'm waving my finger, yes, because it's so good. I don't want to rush through it. Okay, it's really good, and I'm going to give Kelly all the credit for it. So let's yeah. save it for after the break. Okay, good. You've been listening to The Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma, 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And at our our segment before this, we were talking about uh, the stresses of caregiving uh, leading to a buildup, usually, of anger and resentment, and how that uh, can lead to uh, caregivers acting out, uh, either their quality of their caregiving declines or they are not to be found, or any number of things can happen, and uh, this can kind of spiral down. And we talked about the, the importance of developing self-awareness and learning uh, and so that you can grow and move through this, and we didn't get to that yet, we will. But we brought up uh, an example And I love this one, and I credit (laughs) Kelly Barling for this. She's one of our great caregivers. I hope you're listening, Kelly. Kelly, this is for you. So is it all right if I share it? Yes, Jenny loves this one. I love this one. (laughs) So, And we had just talked just before the break about um, how people can go into caregiving, as with many careers or professions, with a desire to do something of meaning and value.
1: Something really good.
0: Something really good. Mm -hmm. And not knowing at the outset what it's going to take to do it in the long run, and Kelly's example was for an attorney or a lawyer, someone who uh, decides to go into the profession because they want to bring uh, justice. They want people to be treated fairly. They want to protect people who deserve to be protected from uh, the kinds of things that can happen in the world of the law, Uh, and they enter it and discover to uh, probably great disillusionment how much of the profession could include very adversarial uh, situations, uh, very uh, a lot of very stultifying paperwork, uh, courtroom games, uh, any number of things that could be and usually probably are discouraging, draining, not full of purpose and meaning, not truly serving overall, you think, the the quality of life for their clients. And Kelly's point was that the attorneys who stay with it and make the difference and stay with their vision and their goal have to learn how to put up with all these other things that come along with it. It was a great uh, analogy to caregiving Mm -hmm. in that wanting to care, wanting to give, Wanting to be there for someone who needs you includes so many things you don't know at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And as you learn them, are they going to make you ineffective and take you out of the picture? Or are you going to grow through them, deepen, and stay with it and become a truly good, great caregiver?
1: To find hope. And find hope. Yes. And one of the things we talked about, I think it was when we talked about hope, it's, it's forging meaning and purpose from adversity by yes. going through it. And that's what we're talking about. When Once the ideals are gone through and you start hitting the difficulties, and my God, caregiving... The reality is, of it. The reality of it is you are dealing with probably one of the most distressing positions to be in. You're dealing with people that are so ill and so distressed, and it's a life or and death frontline experience and you're there to manage their lives and help them manage them and get through them each day and it's so difficult most of us don't have to face that until it happens to our personal lives Mm -hmm. but it is what a choice so tough you got to know that it's going to put you through an awful lot and you're either going to come out of it a much more purposeful stronger and better person
0: more resilient
1: and more resilient Or you're gonna quit and you're gonna run away and you'll never wanna go near that again until life hits you. Regrets. And we've seen both. But our job and our emphasis is gaining resilience and hope through adversity and difficulty. Doesn't that fit the caregiver? It sure does to us. So I'm looking at this and I'm going, Well, we've seen people who come through all of that. And emerge from struggles with a heightened sense of purpose in their lives, and an increased sense of compassion for the struggles of others. So, if they thought they were compassionate before, it grows even deeper and and more matured, yes, and more well-rounded. Uh, and it's an incredible difference. Uh, somebody was saying to me the other day, "Are you willing to to interview younger people who want to be caregivers?" And I think it was somebody who said that to me yesterday, knew a couple of people. Mm -hmm. Well, I have questions about it. It doesn't mean we won't. But that means they've got some maturing to go through. And that means their battles are in the less mature stage.
0: Yeah. What kind of life experience have they had?
1: That's the one. We've seen some young people have, because of what they've been through. Yes, they have more maturity in many ways in this area than a lot of older folks. That's a whole different breed. We've seen them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If we're talking about kids that have an ideal of wanting to be a caregiver but haven't been through a lot, that's not for us. Then we wind up being babysitters. That won't work. Mm-hmm. So it's the it's the younger folks that have, and there are plenty out there that have been through it, taking care of their grandparents, their parents, who've been through a lot themselves. And they seem to have a deeper understanding. Being, of what it takes, what it means to be a caregiver. Their depth of empathy is so much more mature than many people. Mm-hmm. Those are the winners, no matter they're ageless. That's a whole different story. Yeah. Um, I but,
0: would say caregiving is is one of the really extreme examples of something that you cannot learn in a book.
1: No, I said that to somebody today at a restaurant, Tara. At, um, what is that? It? Oh, Zazzle. Yeah. Yeah, and she said that this, she went through it with her dad. Yes, and she said, "This isn't something you can learn from a book, is it? It's something she was telling me she had to yeah. learn it from real life." And I yeah. said, "Absolutely." Yep. She wanted all our, she wanted to know all the information on our nonprofit. She wanted all the uh, the flyers on the show. She really liked it once we talked. Yeah. Um, but when I say hopefulness, we're not talking about an attitude of being overly and childishly optimistic. Okay. And always looking in the bright side of everything, and it's Pollyannish, it's ridiculous, and, and yet people who start that way may really, really come together. That's how they come into it. That's not the hope we're talking about. We're talking about, we're talking about a, a hopefulness and a, uh, of, uh, recognizing through the difficulties, of of life. Uh, and going through it.
0: That we could, that there will be, we can have a better Better future. future. Absolutely. Uh, That we can get there, we can find solutions, that we, there is something in the future that can be good.
1: Even though the, current situation doesn't feel that way. Doesn't and we feel can't that see way. It. you got to know that there's going to be something better and that comes out of this in the future. Right. She read that from the same notes I have. Am I right about that? <laughs> yes. I know she glanced at her notes. I looked night.
0: at my notes. I said,
1: I have that note. Too. I cheated. <laughs> I'm glad she did because I couldn't read my writing. <laughs> so I'm glad she did. <laughs> but we're also talking about some attitudes um, that we need to have. Yeah, and I think some of them are really very solid, concrete, and tangible. We got to know we're going to make it through. That is really important.
0: and and I just I gotta say, of all the things we've said, say today, that is probably sounds the most straightforward, and it is the hardest thing to do at times. to hold on through the very hardest times that we can get through this, that something good can come.
1: I feel very inspired when she said it that way. I thought I knew that, but she's just inspired me.
0: Well, it's hard. I'm speaking personally here. I have. A, there are times when it's very hard for me to hang on to that. Very hard.
1: That's why I was inspired, because you're talking from real experience. Yeah, yeah. And then there's another one. If there is a solution, and I'm big on this one, and so is Jenny, actually, Well. we'll find it. And I don't quit. I've always been that way my entire life. I've been that way as an entrepreneur and a businessman, as a person who's run different Facilities, and own different uh, treatment facilities, and needed money and needing ways to sustain our staffing. It's the same thing. There's always a solution. I just have to find it and work at it. And uh, frankly, I find it to be an exciting challenge at times, although it can make me very anxious too. But it's the kind of anxiety that usually morphs into enthusiasm and deeper and greater hope and faith to be honest with you
0: and then i will point out the one thing steve our producer uh acknowledged just before our show is that one of the things is that you aren't afraid to make a mistake and i think that this is very much related to what you're saying here is you're looking for a solution if that one didn't work if it was a mistake drop it move on to the next i don't have
1: time it's exactly right and um i'm not afraid of failure I'm not, in fact, I, I comes plenty. I just don't waste my time over focusing on it because that's an indulgence I usually in my life don't have time for. Um, so I move on to the next option. And the other one is, this is a, a hard one too. Um, it's when we have to find a way sometimes to accept the things we can't change. Oh, yeah. And that's hard. Um, and begin to accept things the way they are. I find that to be, very difficult, yes. and my my voice is dropping, Steve, my technician's going to tell me this later, our producer, yes, but there's a reason, help. it's personal to me, because I'm not big on accepting things I can't do something about, and yet as a caregiver, as someone who has a loved one who's got a very serious deteriorating illness, there's so much about it, I can't do anything about it anymore except love her, make her more comfortable. Give her everything she needs, and find every way, the way, every way possible, to make her feel safe and comforted and loved. But as far as changing the direction of the disease, as far as giving her relief when she's in the midst of it, I can't always do that. No, and that's my—I would say that's my toughest thing. But there's another thing that I've come to. One time, one thing about long-term illness is you come you go through phases. One of them that I've come to, and I was telling a doctor about this today, is that I've come to an acceptance of the disease and what it is. And then once I do that, I'm able to make adjustments in my expectations, looking for alternatives and ways to help. But there is an acceptance that this is what's happening now. And he was mentioning to me, and I remember this now. It was a while ago. But when Lynn was first sick, um, (laughs) <laughs> he said to me your blood pressure is really good you're you're in excellent shape is a second doctor that told me that and i said are you kidding and they go no and i go and they say well under the circumstances <laughs> i'm glad they add that yeah but one of the things was when my wife was really sick uh, i remember i was at work and i never get dizzy i that's rarity for me and yet i was dizzy one day and i'm going this is no good and i had to work that night and i remember I had to excuse myself and take myself to the emergency room. Oh, I do remember Do you this. remember that one? I do. That was so rare for me, and yet I couldn't deny it. Something was wrong. Well, go to the emergency room, and they take my blood pressure, and it was like 270. Over, it was high. Yes. And today my blood pressure is 120 over 82, that'll tell you. But anyway, and he was saying, this doctor said, that I'm so glad we don't have to see you in the emergency room anymore. And I said, I'll tell you why. Yeah, uh, and actually, some of the nurses knew my lo- wife, and they knew me. Mm-hmm. And they, at one point, I will just relate this to you. Um, every time I'd ask, I got to get out of here. I got to make sure my wife's okay. You started to
0: think about Lynn.
1: My blood pressure, they would look at the monitor it spike. and it would spike. I remember. And one of my friends from Nevada, a nurse, took me aside. She was, what was talking? She says, "Hey, if you don't knock it off, you're going to be the next person in here." And you got to realize what's happening. Every time you get worked up about your wife, Mm -hmm. your blood pressure goes way up and you get dizzy. That is because I hadn't accepted what was going on. I just couldn't accept it. I was stressed out and distressed and fighting it with every inch of my being. And my health was beginning to deteriorate. Today it's not like that. I don't go in an emergency room. Every doctor I see who's a friend, they just keep telling me your health is so excellent. And they keep feeling my muscles because they don't know anyway 73 who's in good shape like I am so they love it mm-hmm. but the the other point of it is I say yeah well I've accepted what's going on with my beloved one and it doesn't mean I like it it's just now I know I can't control everything but I can find options and I can adjust my expectations to fit the circumstances of what they are today is my blood pressure going up it's better now than it's ever been my health is excellent, um, I, keep, I still can't believe it, but it's true.
0: We're grateful.
1: And I'm super grateful, because most caregivers, their health begins to truly deteriorate, mine isn't. Yeah. And they all say, you look so good, and when people keep telling me that, I go, you're kidding, and they go, well, they're not kidding. Yeah. But the truth is, it's because I've accepted. And that's been the hardest thing for me. Uh, accepting things as they are, and then doing my best with what we have. And I think that's a way to become more resilient, another step in an attitude change that caregivers need to make.
0: This is a skill they need to, ability they need to learn. Absolutely. Absolutely. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson, and uh, Peter. Before before this break, uh, we talked about uh, a number of things, including uh, hanging on to the 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 attitude, almost the vision uh, of hope that good can come even through the very hardest of times. Mm-hmm. Um, there are ways to approach hard times that will help make this more possible, more real. Uh, we talked about um, uh, not giving up, looking for solutions, hanging on to hope, uh, and then uh, at times having to accept that we cannot change and how are we going to adjust and find new options and approaches. Uh, in our last segment, I just want to ask, we were, we had thought we might talk a little bit more about um, what do... What do we do with this? We, we talked earlier about this buildup of anger and resentment mm-hmm. that can happen for caregivers. And um, I know in past uh, episodes, we've talked about the importance of, of releasing some of that buildup um, and that it isn't something you really can just talk through. No. Shall we at least begin talking about some of the ways that we recommend or, or, or options people caregivers can have.
1: Yes. And before, I just want to make sure that the last thing I talked about was acceptance. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean failure. That doesn't mean giving up. That means accepting. And there's always ways that we are going to seek some kind of solutions, even with the, through the s- situation that we've accepted, that there is a hope and an optimism to that.
0: It's not fatalism. No. That's not what you're talking about.
1: No, not at all. No. And we always are our hope is toward something better in the future, even though we can't see it now. And it keeps us energized and motivated, even through the difficult times. And we need that. We can't afford to be hopeless and discouraged. It's our best defense against despair and discouragement, even when these seem to be the most human emotions and responses to these very difficult life situations. Getting back to that, the human emotions yeah. and the buildup. We're not circumventing that. I wish we could. We do have ways, and we've been using them for many years, of working with the body and to get rid of these clogged-up emotional states, whether they've been stimulated and are drawn out from our past or whether we're in difficulties that have their own stresses to them um, that are building in our bodies through the situations we're, we're dealing with and helping with. But we know that there's a point, knowing our own bodies and our own emotional states, that we have got to take some time to get some help. And we do it with our own staff. That's the way we do it. Um, But we have work that we've developed over many, many years, over close to 50 years. Uh, In fact, I'm having lunch with one of my original mentors who's with me to this day. Uh, I'm gonna be having lunch with her this Saturday. And he was the person that turned me around about how to deal with trauma and how to deal with my own pent-up emotions and how to be refocused and mentored and counseled and uh, guided and coached through life. And he was fabulous, Jerry Frank, for me. He did a great job, Mm -hmm. and um, I will always be grateful to the man. And to see his wife after 30 years is going to be a great lift for me. She's a wonderful woman, outstanding woman. But anyway, um, one of the things that we learned was if you don't deal with the body and you don't understand the biology of your emotions, you're gonna, you are not going to be able to talk, be able to be inspired, talked out of it. It doesn't work that way. Um, you have to deal with the physiology and the biology of your nervous system and how it's affecting you. What does that look like? If you have pent up anger in your body, let's say, and are aware of it, your body begins to get tense and your jaw gets tight, uh, your adrenaline begins to rush. You begin to get more reactive and edgy.
0: Your stomach might hurt.
1: You're, that's Jenny. That's mine. My, my stomach doesn't hurt. My chest no. gets tight and my... Uh, jaw. My maybe. jaw gets real tight. And I am an aggressive type person, so I'm aware of what that can feel like and be like. But that's because, thank you, Jerry Frank, took me through so many years of releasing that. While I was dealing with very stressful work with others, um, I still had to keep dealing with uh, clearing my, the effects of my past, which would kept coming up, mm-hmm. and not allowing that to take me over, which could have happened. But it was the biology of the work of of uh, of recuperating and uh, re- being restored through trauma, whether it's in the was in the present or the past, was an essential factor to keeping me resilient and open and receptive to seeing things in a new way once that that was diffused in my body um, i could begin to hear and see things in a new way more hopeful more uplifted and more encouraged that didn't mean the external situations got any easier it meant the way i approached them was from ref- i was in a refreshed state mm-hmm. so my life didn't get easier it was i was different yes and it lasted for Since the kind of work I was, I was a caregiver, and I was getting confronted constantly, hour after hour. I knew it was going to come back, We all, of course.
0: I just want to illuminate that being a psychotherapist, as you were at that time, is a caregiving role. Absolutely. And that's what you're talking about. Yes.
1: And it was a very uh, visceral, gut-wrenching type of traumatic resolution that I worked with. It worked, but it took its toll. And if I didn't take care of myself as religiously as I did, I don't think I would have made it this far. Today, we talk about trauma resolution and recovery. And it's based on that early work. And we're not talking about psychotherapy anymore. We're talking no. something that goes, I would call it more practical mm-hmm. in dealing with real life situations. I like that better. Yeah. We're not talking about just indulging the past and being introspective. And now we're talking about getting this taken care of so you can get back to what you need to face in your life. Right. And your life needs to improve. And your attitudes and outlook, this is one of the best ways possible. So our work is understanding the body, understanding how it armors up and tightens up the musculature. Uh, you know, it's a shield. It's a way that we uh, do, whether it's conscious or unconscious, to, to, stone ourselves up and strengthen ourselves up against the pain we're feeling whether it's internal or external
0: yeah it's a kind of a containment it's a
1: containment yeah but it causes distress it causes tension it causes pain Mm -hmm. it can cause damage and sickness ultimately sickness yes um very serious sickness uh migraines digestive problems heart problems uh, so many things mm-hmm. that we feel are deadly if they're not taken care of well this is a way of diffusing that and I sit here at 73 years old and most people can't believe my age it's because very I take very much care of
0: related them. to this practice that you've Absolute, had all your life absolutely and life.
1: everyone who works with us on our staff except one or two take care of themselves and they look much younger than they actually are I'm looking at one right across the table from me um <laughs> it's because we know how to deal with that. And then we can go back to face our lives and our work in a much more purge. We're cleansed. We're feeling hopeful and encouraged again. And the burden of that built up anger, resentment, pain, whatever it is, has been diminished and decompressed and cleansed out. We feel that's an essential part of keeping our emotional state clear. And in caregiving, it's a must. It is. And yet I don't see many caregivers that know about this.
0: No, they don't, and that's, that's too bad. And that is part of what we're really motivated to get across to communicate.
1: Because we want to keep that relationship nourishing and nurturing and compassionate and loving. Yes. This is the best way to do it. If there's any psychological issues, they need to be purged too. That would come up, by the way, in the work we're talking about. But afterwards, you'll need mentoring. Mm-hmm. You'll need coaching through that and maybe a change of attitude and perspective and then sent back with hope and encouragement support. We do that all the time. Mm-hmm. That's not psychotherapy. No, That's real life. Um, that's the way we do it. We know it works. We want to see more caregivers get more, I don't think the word's professional, but a little bit more clear and objective about the burden of responsibility that they carry that they must deal with to keep themselves resilient and moving forward and helping more people.
0: What can we, are there some suggestions we could make for people uh, listening for things they could do on their own to help purge some of this? Is there, is there, I know it's, it's not going to be as complete as the work that you develop,
1: but what other kinds of things can people do? Well, I think there's plenty of things to do to keep yourself diffused, um, one of the things that, I, and I I do it uh, either naturally or if I have to take care of myself, I make sure that after a hard week I will purge myself. And if I'm feeling tense and uptight, I, I think one of the things that I do is I go, this is one thing. I work out regularly. I've been doing that since I'm 14 years old. It, it does help me. It refreshes me no matter how tired I get. I ride two horses. I ride three times a week. Uh, I happen to be an adrenaline junkie, so I like cutting horse competition. Although lately I haven't been to co- doing the competition because I tore um, some tissue. In my this is what happens when you're a caregiver. You get hurt yeah. and push. Be a pusher like I am. You are going to get hurt eventually. Where before you're such a tough person. Well, when you're a caregiver, you're a little bit more vulnerable. And the healing by my friends, take it from one of us takes so much longer when you're a caregiver Mm -hmm. and mine this particular injury has taken 37 weeks and I don't wish it on anybody so uh, you got to be aware that you you need to modulate Um, my workouts I lift a lot of heavy weight the doctor today told me you're still lifting that heavily and I go well yeah and he says well you should need to cut it back two-thirds then he talks about the the, my weight versus how much weight he says I said, I am doing two-thirds of what I do. He says, you mean you used to do da-da-da? And I said, yeah. yeah. And I says, I'm doing two-thirds. He says, "It's that's pretty heavy. And I said, well, I enjoy that. It makes me feel better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get a massage mm-hmm. every week. Um, uh, if I, I need to, and I do do this, I get acupuncture, which helps to settle my auto, my automatic responses and get me more calmed down. I like that. Um, I do get some body work done specifically, not the emotional part of it, but the physical Mm -hmm. And I like that, Um, particularly in my bed, where I tore my hip, it really helps. There's a fellow named Boris Novato, Mm -hmm. he's great at this, Boris Vilner, he's great at it and does great body work that way. He's not a psychotherapist, we're not talking about me going there and purging my emotion with him. But I want to tell you something really amazing. Your body will hold, where you have vulnerabilities physically, can hold your emotions. And sometimes when he releases, it relaxes my leg and the tissue, Mm the emotion of my grief for my wife comes up. Yes. And I can't help it. And he's he's very accepting. Anyway, but the point is, they're all tied in. My spirituality, my emotions, my psychology, the psychology and the biology and physiology, they're all integrated. And we have to learn to work with all of these different things. We can talk about it further next time. I think we should. I do too. In fact, we have a whole manual that we developed for the VA system mm-hmm. of helping their care frontline uh, combat crisis teams years ago. And I've been looking through it and boy do we have a massive amount of anyway, information on how we to do We have a
0: this. lot and I do want to continue on this. And
1: we will and we'll use it next time. And there's also a test to take called the ProQuil test mm-hmm. to see where you line up on the It's a really level.
0: good test that helps people recognize how they're doing on the scale of being in 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 you know in good shape or whether they're heading into burnout.
1: Yep. And it's a good one and you can take it any time It's Self-administered, you don't need a professional. But anyway, there are things we always are looking for to help. And I hope our broadcasts are reaching more people that who normally wouldn't be and have an open mind to this, to keep your mind open to learning new things as we learn them. That's our passion, that's our compassion, and that's our hope for the future. And we want to convey that to you. That there is absolutely
0: hope. there is hope,
1: and we can help you deal with the emotion of it if you need help. By the way, that one you may need help with. Yeah. So if you do, we can recommend people. We can also be that pe- those people to you. But in the in, right now, may this if I may this broadcast today be of support and help to you. And we're coming to an end. I see the nods of heads here, <laughs> and Jenny's uh, getting the. I'm not going to be passive. Rap. She's got to wrap it up.
0: I've gotten to do my spiel. Yeah. Um, you've been listening to The Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm being funny, Peter, but thank you for all that you do. Uh, uh, The Survivor's Guide to Life is brought to you and sponsored by Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment. Uh, Their website is sctraumatreatment.org. Ours is thesurvivorsguidetolife.com. Thank you for listening, and please join us again next time.